This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, and that notification button. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight, they're all from the Gridiron Battle Zone. Brian King, Peggy Holmes, Raynal Gresham. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a former quarterback with the Atlanta Falcons. After playing, he became a coach uh, several places. Teams notable, uh, the University of Hawaii was there from 99 to 2007, and SMU from 08 to 2014. Uh, as an NFL coach, he was with the Oilers, the Lions, Falcons, Chargers. He's currently the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Sea Dragons of the XFL. Um, and he's got numerous Coach of the Year honors that he has uh, won throughout his vast career. So we have Coach June Jones here. June, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Look forward to talking. Excellent. As always, we're going to have a Q&A after uh, for Coach about his career. Uh, tonight's debate will be the greatest wide receiver corpse of all time. So we're talking trios here tonight. Uh, honorary mention to the Colts uh, when they had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, and, and Brandon Stokely. So that's our honorary mention tonight. We're going to start out, though, with the greatest show on turf. All right. I've got that greatest show on turf, uh, the Rams. So we're talking about Isaac Bruce, Azahir uh, Hakeem, and Torrey Holt. Uh, Bruce, he came on the scene in 1994. Uh, he didn't really have great speed, a 4.5540 time, and he wasn't really too big, six foot tall, only 188 pounds. But man, he made up for it with this smooth and surgical like route running. Uh, his clutch catches, too. Uh, none was more clutch than in, in Super Bowl 34 when he slowed down to catch a pass over his shoulder, outmaneuvered the Titans DB, and took it 73 yards to the house. That turned out to be the game winner. Uh, Bruce made plenty of uh, big catches throughout the playoffs as well. Uh, Hakeem, he wasn't real big either. Five foot ten, 189 pounds. He was with the Rams from 1998 to 2001. He was very quick and he did a really great job sitting down in the slot. Uh, he was good for about 40 catches per year, about 500 yards, and he scored 16 TDs while he was in St. Louis. And now we come to my favorite, Torrey Holt. Uh, this guy was six foot tall, 200 pounds, and lightning fast. 4.3440 time. He used his speed, yes, but he also crafted himself into a very, very good route runner, and he rarely dropped the ball. I'm not sure why he isn't in the Hall of Fame yet, but he absolutely should be. So when these three guys were together from 1999 to 2001, the Rams went to two Super Bowls, winning one. They had the number one scoring offense all three years. They were number one in passing yards all three years as well. And we all know the Kurt Warner story. This wide receiver group helped elevate a stock boy to Super Bowl MVP. So what a talented, amazing group this was. Coach, your thoughts on these three and, and the greatest show on turf that kind of revolutionized offense for a while there in the NFL? Yeah, well, they kind of uh, catapulted off what we were doing uh, um, in the NFL with the – nobody was running three and four and five wide receivers uh, back then, but after uh, we had – pretty much had success both at the Oilers and Atlanta. A lot of teams uh, started to spread the field. And you, the one guy that I think is uh, clearly the best uh, uh, and, and had watched him play uh, so many times was Isaac Bruce. And he was, uh, mm -hmm. he was really, really one of the greatest route runners and smoothest. And, and, and he didn't probably time uh, as fast. But he was as fast. He played within the 30-yard area uh, as fast as anybody in the league and, and had just great concentration on the football. 
And how much do you think Marshall Falk attributed to those three being as good as they are? Well, I think that uh, I think that he helped Marshall Falk uh, because I mean they helped Marshall Falk because they spread the field. They got everybody out of the box. Now Marshall Falk is uh, is a Hall of Famer uh, as well. He's he uh, had great numbers uh, those years of playing uh, in the uh, in the spread formations. But it was just uh, uh, you know I mean. Everybody had their greatest years. It seemed like that the, for for the Rams. Uh, you know, you could say the quarterback did, uh, the running back did, and he had success uh, at a couple different places. But but he he was truly his best with the Rams. Well, let's move on to the posse. All right, and the posse to me was the culmination of Joe Gibbs' dream of recreating Air Coriel in Washington. He had already built a top offensive line and a run game that people feared, and he's, he wanted to play off of that. And I think that's exactly what Gibbs did in creating the posse. The posse actually came together in 1986. This was really six years after Monk got in and three years after they got Clark. What we're talking about here are three guys that were excellent route runners, smart, smart guys, guys who could run block, guys who understood the game at the level of coaching. And there's stories that Gibbs tells about his collaboration with them. When Sanders and joined Clark and Monk in 86, there was no problem and the trio bonded easily. Each wide receiver bought a different skill set. We know that Monk was more of a possession type, prolific possession type wide receiver, while Clark excelled in the middle and, of course, he was Yak. But due to Clark's cumulative injuries, Joe Gibbs said, we got to stretch this field. And in Sanders, he found that guy that would not only make the offense more productive, but give him more play calling uh, options. And let me say this, the posse was not only known for their speed, they were just good football players, solid guys. They didn't do a spread, they didn't do anything fancy, Gibbs never did it that way. They absorbed Gibbs' playbook and even suggested new ways. Gibbs said that they added dimensions to his offense that he never even dreamed of. The results were record-breaking. Okay, by 1989, this new offense was perfected and the Redskins produced three 1,000-yard receivers, first time in NFL history. And we do see other productive trios, but they just aren't the professionals. They didn't have the varied <coughs> skill sets and the smarts that they have. Just a sprinkling of the numbers, Ricky Sanders, of course, who's best remembered for his catch of a Ronald Reagan pass on the White House South Lawn. He's second all-time in Super Bowl receptions, 483 receptions, 6,477 yards, and 37 touchdowns. Clark, same story, consistency, 699 receptions, 10,856 yards, and 65 touchdowns. And uh, Brian... BK, just like uh, 
Holt, a lot of people think Gary needs to be in the Hall of Fame as well. We've got Pro Bowl honors four times for Gary Clark. Then we go finally to the Hall of Famer Monk, 16-year career, 940 receptions, 12,721 yards, and 68 touchdowns. And of course, we all remember Monk leading the league in 1984. What the posse brought was stability, and it really allowed Joe Gibbs and his system to realize their next level. So, Coach, how how impressive are these guys, considering uh, I'm looking at this list now, they didn't do it under one quarterback. Humphreys, Rippon, Williams, Schrader, it didn't matter who was throwing the ball, they still put up numbers. Well, I think mm -hmm. that uh, that uh, uh, aligns with what Peggy said there, that that the system uh, was superior. Uh, and Joe, uh, it's, it's funny, I, I – you know, uh, just talking through this, it's triggering a lot of things back. 1984, uh, Mouse Davis and I were at the Houston Gamblers, and uh, we had Ricky Sanders. And I can remember Joe really, really interested in what we were doing uh, offensively because he was like uh, uh, a pounded guy, basically, even though he came from Coriolis, a system. He wanted to run the football. And uh, when we had Ricky, I can remember spending time with Joe talking about through the spread formation, some of those different things. And, of course, they signed Ricky, and then uh, uh, the rest was history. That was an amazing uh, group of receivers. Like you said, they were very intelligent. They played the game, and they knew what was expected of them within the, the uh, confines of the offense. They weren't me guys. They were we guys. And, and that's what I think uh, says it all about Joe Gibbs. He – he was a team guy and and did it with all those quarterbacks and and I was uh, coaching against him for the for the late, later part of those years uh, uh, when we were at the Oilers and then we played played uh, the Redskins in the in the playoffs after Joe had left but but it was still the same system they carried carried it on. All three of them very good. Monks in the Hall of Fame. I I thought Clark was going to go there one day, but it, it just, it never matriculated. But uh, let's move on to the, so yeah, <laughs> let's move on to the eighties dolphins. The eighties dolphins. First, I'm going to start off. It all started with Nat Moore. Okay. Nat Moore, wide receiver slash running back. For a career total, he had 510 receptions for 7,546 yards and 74 touchdowns. One Pro Bowl, one All-Pro. The funny thing about that was all of them were really records. He said he pretty much set all the records for the Dolphins receiving-wise because he was the man for both quarterbacks. Let's just say he was immortalized for his helicopter catch that he made against the Jets at the Giants Stadium in 1984. I mean, we probably all seen it. The catch, I mean, it was crucial because it led to a score for a come-behind win in a closely contested divisional game. But let's just say, in 1986, when he retired, he had every receiving record. I just go down some stats. In 83, he had 39 catches for 573 yards and six touchdowns. 43 catches. In 84, he had 43 catches for 576 yards and six touchdowns. 
and you know it go on and on all that was good until we got Clayton and Duper or a lot of people that trio that deal that the Dolphins got the funny thing about Mark Clayton he was drafted in the eighth round 223 223 overall 223rd overall yeah. okay his career statistics 580 two receptions, 898,974 yards and 84 touchdowns and five Pro Bowls, not in the Hall of Fame. At that time, he had, from 1984 to 1993, he had 5,000-yard seasons. He also had set the record for 18 touchdowns in 1984, which was a record until it was broke by some receiver, we'll say, some guy um, named Jerry Rice before he finally broke the record. That's how long it stood. And that season, 1984, he had 73 receptions for 1,389 yards and 18 touchdowns. I mean, we're talking about a guy that just produced over and over, year after year after year. Then we can turn around and go to Mark to Duper. His career statistics, 511 receptions, 8,869 yards, 59 touchdowns and three Super Bowls. This guy right here, first team All-Pro in 1984, second team All-Pro in 1983, and in 1990, he was the second Dolphin to pass 7,000 career reception yards. I mean, you just look at a guy that just produced over and over. He's still not in the Hall of Fame. I'll just give you some stats. In 1986, 67 receptions for 1,313 yards and 11 touchdowns. 1994, 71 receptions, 1,306 yards and 8 TDs. I mean, just produced over and over and over. But the thing that's holding him back is some guy that, some guy, I think Brian might know him, some, some, some guy named Marino. <laughs> some guy named Marino that's, they pretty much given, you know, and duly noted, Dan earned everything. I'm not saying he didn't, but that's the biggest drawback I got. Because they're saying that if Marino wasn't there, they wouldn't have put up the stats they did. But, you know, to me, that runs hand in hand. Marino was there throwing the passes, but they needed the guys there to catch it. So, I mean, we're talking about guys that just, if they were playing nowadays, could you imagine? The yards they will be putting up in the past happy NFL that we have nowadays. I mean, it's just mind-boggling that they was putting up these stats in the 80s when the past wasn't really that big. In the 80s and the 90s, I mean, it wasn't really that big. You didn't hear about a quarterback passing for 5,000 yards or 4,000 yards. That's just something that <clears throat> nobody really believed, couldn't understand back in the day. But Marino and Clayton and Duper and more, I mean, that was a trio. To me. So, Coach, a great question then. What do you think they could have done without Marino? And and when they did do this, it was a straight-up running league. So they were at a, you know, kind of a little advantage to be the first to fling the ball around like they were. Yeah, well, I I, uh, I think they would have been successful. Uh, and and like uh, uh, was said right there, in this day and age when you – I mean, they did it when they could tackle the receivers. They hold them. They double-hit them. And can you imagine the numbers they would have now if if they were in the rules the way they were now? Not just that they're throwing the ball, but the change of the of the the offenses. I mean, the change of the 
officiating to the offenses. And uh, I think uh, I, I, I think Nat Moore, uh, I'll never forget uh, when Don Shula split him out on the 46th defense, that that uh, uh, Buddy Ryan defense is undefeated. And that ended Buddy Ryan's career to me when they figured out that if, if they split out in three and four wide receivers, guess what? They had linebackers covering uh, wideouts. And uh, that ended the, the, the scheme, basically. Uh, although Buddy Ryan's scheme is still part of a lot of uh, a, a small part of every defense in, that is called right now, but but it ended it for playing it the whole game. Duper and Clayton, uh, as Reynolds said, yeah, I think they're they were borderline Hall of Fame. They they had a shot at getting in there, but neither has. So maybe this one day, who knows? With the Veterans Committee, we will. Yeah, know. who who knows? It, it's such a, a political thing now. Uh, yeah. But I think I think they did more to change the game of football uh, than any other uh, uh, threesome, uh, even more so than Gibbs. I think Gibbs probably. Uh, copied off of a little bit of what Shula did in 85 against those Bears. Well, let's move on to our final one tonight. Uh, that's going to be three deep. That's their nickname, the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep this relatively short here. Uh, these guys were, they were only together for a short time period from 98 to 01. And I'm only looking at what they did during the time period that they were together. But, uh, you start with Randy Moss. He's he's the greatest deep threat in NFL history. Uh, somebody proved me wrong on that one. Uh, he could stretch a defensive line like no other. Then you got Chris Carter. I have him at number three as the greatest actual like catching wide receiver uh, behind Rice and Fitzgerald. Um, he had hands. He just he didn't drop the ball very often. And then Jake Reed. I mean. He might be a step below those two, but he still was a very solid wide receiver in his own right. Um, prior to Moss arriving, he had four 1,000-yard seasons, and and uh, him and Carter, they set the receptions record with 207 one season together before Randy Moss showed up. So he showed what he can do, and then, you know, he was kind of like the, the nice third wide receiver there when they became the trio, but a lot like uh, like Peggy's wide receivers, they dealt with quite a few quarterbacks as well. It was Brad Johnson, Randall Cunningham, Jeff George, and then they finished out with Dante Culpepper. Um, and then there were a few other guys that got a few starts in there that really aren't even aren't even worth mentioning. But <laughs> but uh, I, I I like them and and I think if I if I'm trying to separate them from the other groups that we're talking about tonight to to prove that they're the best. I, I did some math here. And I, I took the best three years of all the tri trios that we have tonight. So the Vikings trio, during their best three years together, put up 8,800 yards and 83 touchdowns. The closest that comes to that trio-wise tonight is uh, Duper, Clayton, and Moore at 7,400. So over 1,400 yards less and 74 touchdowns, so nine touchdowns less. Um, you know, the Rams weren't even in the ballpark. They were only at 6,767 touchdowns, and uh, Washington was right right around there as well. So if we're looking just as they were actually a trio, these three put up the biggest numbers during the best three years of their career. 
So, Coach, how, how do you cover a guy like Randy Moss between the speed and, and the the leaping ability and then Chris Carter and Jake Reed? You know, what's your thoughts on this trio? Well, I always I always liked them. I, I, I remember Chris Carter making a catch against us in Atlanta. Uh, that was the most unbelievable catch that I've ever watched. And I and you know that I've watched a lot of passes and catches over my, over my career. Uh, I think he, I think Chris Carter, um, I mean, well, to be quite honest, Randy Moss uh, benefited from going to Minnesota because Jake Reed and Chris Carter were pure uh, uh, wide receivers. And Randy Moss had his best seasons, to me, uh, with Minnesota. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of, of other uh, times, a lot of other opportunities, but those years in Minnesota, I think, uh, uh, benefited him personally as well as uh, uh, professionally, uh, teaching him how to play. Um, and uh, and they were, like you said, you named the quarterback. Uh, they they still were successful and still productive. I I think there's a reason that they're number one on those numbers. <laughs> uh, they were they were really really uh, special. So we're going to move into our vote tonight. Cannot pick your own. Brian, you're in my corner. Who are you taking? Man, this is tough, man. These you guys all had some great cases, and these are great wide receiver groups. Um, yeah. To me, I to me, I think the the one that just has the most pure talent, um, and then like you said, was able to do it, was able to resurrect the career of, of Cunningham. And uh, I I, I got to go with those Vikings. I mean, those Vikings were something else. They really were. And uh, I gotta go with the Dolphins. I, I think uh, I think they're the originators of of big time passing games. So, and as much as I love the greatest show on turf, Brian, you know that I represented. Uh, I think it was Falk or, or no greatest offense of all time. I represented the greatest show on turf. Uh, so I love them, but I, I got to give it to Marino and the Dolphins, Peggy. Thanks for reminding me, Renaud, how great. That shoe law offense really was, and I've got to go with them. I I, I keep forgetting uh, the consistency of the offensive systems that they had, and just sheer productiveness down there. I got to go with the Dolphins. Reynold, um, huge Falk fan, greatest show on turf. I mean, what them guys were doing, I mean, it was just mind boggling. It was just like they said, just like. Backyard football, you just chuck it up and they come down and guys, they just did everything. I mean, the Rams, they had my vote. I mean, just wow. And coach, who would you take? Well, I'd take them all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I I, think I agree. Uh, I, I think the Miami group probably would have fit what we do uh, the best of all those. Although I would have figured out a, to – to uh, integrate every one of those uh, uh, groups, uh, the Redskins group, the Minnesota uh, uh, receivers are just were fantastic Hall of Fame type players. But I, I'll go back to, to when it first got going, and that was uh, with the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. So uh, a win on Legacy Battles, greatest wide receiver trios of all time goes to the Miami Dolphins. Raynald, congratulations on your first win on the show. You get first question for our guest, and then we'll go Brian, Peggy, me.
Thank you. Coach, thanks for joining us again. Yeah. I just want to ask you this one question. In 95, you took Eric Matkiff, Burton Emanuel, and Terrence Mathis. They became the third trio, third set trio teammates to go over a thousand yards in the same season. How was it? I mean, I mean, coaching them three guys, what do you remember about them? Well, I can remember they all were uh, very intelligent players. And, I, and I'm going to add one uh, to you. Bert Emanuel uh, was 20 yards short of 1,000 yards. We would have had 4,000-yard receivers, which had never been done. And and I don't think, uh, you know, I think Eric Metcalf was, was one of my favorite. Um, I remember when he was coming out of Texas, uh, I really, really wanted to draft him uh, with our first pick. And uh, – I wanted to make him a slot receiver, and he said, "No, I'm a, I'm a running back." And at, at you know five nine, five ten, 180 pounds, I said, "You're not going to last very long." Well, guess what? He went with Belichick in Cleveland, and they pounded him for four or five years. And when he became a free agent, I called him back. I said, "Eric, you ready to play slot?" He says, "I'm ready to play slot." And so anyway, <laughs> he if I had had him from the first time in the league. Oh my gosh, his numbers would have been unbelievable because he caught over a hundred passes uh, that first season for me, and uh, he could run after the catch, of course, like nobody's business. So, coach, back in the mid '80s, the, the SMU Mustangs—they received harsh sanctions, known as the death penalty. We all know that story. That program was in misery for a couple decades. Then, then you come in in 2008. Turn things around. The next year, the Mustangs win their first bowl game in 25 years. So, Coach, how were you able to turn that team around, and how would you describe your time at SMU? Well, I love my time at SMU. It was, uh, you know, it was a time that they were trying to, uh, you know, uh, get back on the map. And uh, uh, we went to four straight bowl games uh, while I was there. Uh, and, and we were going through transition with the school. The standards of the student athletes uh, coming in were not the standards of what was in the school. In fact, everybody in the school had perfect SAT scores. There, there was nobody that didn't have perfect. And so we're starting to bring in some kids that were, uh, you know, in the 800s and 900s. And we didn't have the, uh, we didn't have the uh, where for all to help support them in their academics. So uh, unfortunately, a lot of them flunked out. And uh, I did in my time, and I think I'm most proud that I got the academic situation changed. We got student uh, helpers. We got study hall. We did all a bunch of different things to help the kids maintain. And I think that's why they're having some success now is because those things have been set in place to help the student athlete. Well, first of all, Coach, it's an honor to have an offensive mind like yourself. I, I'm so thrilled because I'm a play design gal. All right. <laughs> I think a lot of problems with with offenses I see is that we don't have those kinds of minds in the game anymore. Okay, I'm just going to leave it like that. My question to you, when you were coaching, did you – design a system, and then bring in the players that you thought were going to fit that system? Or did you pick up the talent and then design the play the system around 
them? Well, I was in a position, so uh, wherever I went, uh, didn't matter if it was college or didn't matter if it was the pros, they were the worst in the history of football. In other words, when we went to uh, 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 Hawaii, they'd lost for two straight years, 18 straight games. And so I had to adjust a little bit to the players that I had because like, not like Dion did already where he changed everybody. We, you know, we couldn't do that uh, in, those, in those days. We had to kind of adjust. But since, since they were everywhere, Atlanta, uh, uh, Detroit, uh, Houston, were, were at, at, the, at the low end of the NFL, uh, uh, when, when I got there, they were willing to listen to what uh, I wanted. For example, uh, I, I traded for Drew Hill at the Oilers, uh, and he was a he was a, a great receiver, one of the best receivers I ever had, uh, and he just passed away a short time ago. But he was at the Rams, and so we traded for him because he fit. I felt I always felt like he fit the slot for for me. And then we drafted Ernie Gibbons. I don't know if you remember that name. Ernest uh, Gibbons, second round, yeah. And uh, he fit the slot. So I was able to kind of draft players. And and one of the greatest uh, white, white House, I have slots in White House that, that ever played for me, uh, was uh, we drafted out of the band at Northern Arizona. And uh, uh, he, he played uh, in Atlanta. Gosh, my mind is shot right now. I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, Mike. <laughs> Michael, uh, uh, Michael's his first name, but you got Michael Haynes. Yeah, Michael Haynes. Michael, Michael Haynes, Haynes yeah. ran yeah. the fastest 40 at the combine. And I said, well, I need those kind of guys outside. Uh, so when they play pump and run, we can run by them. Well, Michael Haynes caught, he caught, listen to this stat. That year that you were talking about, uh, uh, in, in, well, I was talking about 91. He caught uh, 14 touchdown passes for me, okay? 14 touchdowns. They averaged 44.3 yards per touchdown catch. Unbelievable. I mean, that's just – I mean, I, I guarantee that's never happened in the National Football League. <laughs> I can remember I can remember we're playing the Redskins, and uh, the great corner, uh, Green, was playing a bump and run. And uh, I knew they were going to blitz us down in the in the when we were coming out, and and uh, Michael, I said, just beat him on the slant. So Michael uh, beat him on the slant, and they ran foot for foot for eighty nine yards, and Michael and, and Daryl didn't catch him. And Daryl was the fastest player in the league, and so right, that just right. proved that that Michael blew him out of the water. So from oh five to oh seven. You have one of the finest starting college quarterbacks in college history, Colt Brennan, who 2006 throws for 58 touchdown passes, which at the time was a record. It stood for 15 years, I want to say, all the way to 2019, I think. So that 15 years on that record and over 5,500 yards, which I think is still in the top 10 there. Um, so just tell us about that magical season and, and, and how Colt was able to just pull that off. Yeah, well, we went uh, because we're in Hawaii and because we played a bowl game, we were able to play. I think we played, I don't know, I thought we were 12 and three. 
uh, that year. So we played 15 games, and uh, uh, and Colt was phenomenal. And and the next year we went undefeated, and Colt was equally phenomenal. But in that 06 season, I thought was his best. And in those three losses, we had the ball in our hand to go in to score the winning touchdown, which which if we had, we didn't that year. We only won one of those last drives. We lost those three games. He would have won 26 games in a row, which is incredible. I mean, especially when you're living by the pass, you know, uh, uh, which we were. And uh, Colt made our receivers uh, something special. Uh, it gets back to Peggy's comment. I was able to get uh, – I looked for kind of Eric Metcalf type guys, guys that were running backs to be my slots. Because when we throw them short passes, I want them to be able to run like a running back. And so Devon Bess uh, was was one of the, my slots, and he was truly a, a great one for me. But Colt made all those guys better. He made our team obviously better, and it was a great run. And uh, I'm sorry that I mean, just as Colt had a long uh, history of issues, and and uh, uh, it's it's tragic that he's not here to to remember all those with us. Coach, I understand that charity is something that's very important to you. Uh, if, if the reports are correct, you donated your entire 2018 coaching salary to various charities in Ontario and Hawaii, and then you have the June Jones Foundation. So could you tell us a little, a little more about that and, and what charity means to you? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I think uh, one of the reasons that I got so active in, uh, in the foundation is because of Lee Steinberg. Lee Steinberg uh, was my only agent that I ever had from 1977 on. I think I was his second uh, next to Steve Barkowski, and the only reason is because we were living together. And I happened to meet Lee when when uh, Bart was uh, number one pick. And so um, um, he, he stressed uh, to all of us that it was important that we give back to, to – those places that that helped us and that that triggered me to help uh, my colleges uh, Portland State and, and Hawaii that that helped me get to to where I was and and then uh, it just kind of kept growing and and I, uh, I when I was at Hawaii I uh, went to American Samoa and Pongo Pongo and and I went down there for close to uh, I don't know twelve years straight. Uh, to hold a football camps that we had kids uh, coming barefoot. They didn't have football shoes. Uh, they didn't have anything down there, helmets, anything. So I was on a mission to to basically clothe uh, for the football programs in Pongo Pongo, and uh, and uh, that was uh, that was one of the most powerful things to, for me personally that I felt like. Uh, I was able to impact uh, people's lives. And so uh, that kind of is what triggered uh, the giving part back was uh, Lee Steinberg again. And then uh, getting me to go to American Samoa, which which uh, Lee uh, got me to do. Peggy. Well, I just, I, I hate to, I don't want to blindside you, but I'm just dying to know if you had to pick three top offensive minds in the NFL history, 
who would your three heroes be? Well, uh, the ones that played for me, I, I think there's so many. Um, there was a there's a young kid uh, that 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 I'm sure you know of uh, that that I I just truly loved as a as a person as a player. He's had a ten or twelve year career now, and and he's in Arizona. His name is Kelvin Beecham, and I can remember uh, uh, calling the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on draft day. Uh, nobody thought he could play tackle. Um, uh, and I knew he could because I had had Bob Whitfield, which was the first uh, player taken in the draft. And, and uh, when I was in Atlanta, um, um, then I then I, I, I knew that he compared to him as a tackle, pass blocking wise. And of course, nobody believed me because they want tall, long arms, all that kind of stuff. But I knew. It. And so Kelvin has started for Pittsburgh when they drafted him. He started for him. And now he's been in Arizona, uh, and he's been starting for them for for quite some time now. Um, so that that's a name that that probably you weren't not uh, thinking I was going to mention. But I, I the other guy, there's two uh, two guys, Chris Hinton. Um, I'm sure you remember Chris Hinton. We he came to us, um, he came to us in a trade from Indianapolis, and uh, that was I think part of the Jeff George trade actually. Uh, that we when we when we took Jeff George, and uh, uh, he was he could do it all, run blocking, pass blocking, smart. He was he was a one of a kind special guy. The other guy that I played with that uh, was probably as good a pass blocker as there was ever in the league is Mike Ken, and uh, yeah, I think I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but he should be if he hasn't. Sure. He had a he had a seventeen. Mm-hmm. Their career, uh, but I think those guys probably are the three that I've uh, coached that I really think are special players. Coach, thanks again. Now, 2010 SMU Mustangs. You know, we all know you for your run and shoot offense, putting yards up. But that year, you had a thousand yard running back. Zach Lyon, he rushed for 1,450 yards. What could you, what do you remember most about him? Because, I mean, that well, guy a lot of yards. When you yeah, him. well, he was a uh, – <clears throat> it's funny that, that you asked me that because um, I think of him all the time that people – you know, what I, what I need as a running back in my offense is mm-hmm. not what – uh, everybody else looks for. I look for a big guy that can block first because I know he's going to get one-on-one a lot uh, in pass protection. And then the second thing is, is can he run? Well, he was a linebacker. He was a linebacker coming out of high school. And so I said, okay, I saw how quick he was and how he moved. And I said, okay, that guy could be my running back. And so sure enough, uh, he got his chance to do it. And, uh, he ended up playing in the league for I think five or six years with I think the Saints, but I'm but I'm not sure. And you know I'm gonna get back to that other statement you made about the three one thousand yard receivers. Well, I took on a, on a free agent uh, uh, because I thought he was the perfect back for me for my offense, and we didn't get him. Uh, Ironhead, Great. Ironhead, yes. Great. Great. And, yep. and he yeah. was he was taken in the first round by the Saints, and he played for him for three or four years. And I think his most yards rushing was 
300 one year he had. And he mm -hmm. ate himself basically right, out of the Right here from Pitt. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so he, he, I called him during free agency and I said, Ironhead, how much you weigh right now? He said, I weigh 360. <clears throat> I said, okay. I said, if you can lose 100 pounds, and this is, this is like the first of May. Mm -hmm. If you can lose and come in and, and by the first game weigh 265, I'll put you in the Pro Bowl. And so he trusted me. He came. He weighed 260 by the first game. Now, just think of that. He lost 100 pounds. And the first game would be September, from May to September. And uh, um, he rushed for 15, I want to say 14 or 1,500 yards for me and made the Pro Bowl. Remember and that. That would, the, that would be the fourth 1,000-yard player. And if, and if, and if uh, uh, my other wide receiver... Uh, Bert had caught 20 more yards. We would have had 5,000 yard players in the same offense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Magical team. So we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, what can we expect from the 2024 Seattle Sea Dragons? Well, uh, I I think they're going to be pretty good again. I am not going to go back this year uh, to to BOC. Uh, I talked them into hiring Nick Rolovich. Uh, Nick Rolovich was a head coach at Washington State, played for me, knows our offense. And so I thought that he would be a good fit, and they hired him. And so I think they're going to be pretty good. But, you know, the thing with the XFL now, um, my quarterback made the Denver Broncos roster. So unless they assign him back to the XFL, uh, you know, you got to go find another guy. And, uh, you know, I really like Ben DiNucci. He, he was real competitive. He kept getting better and better and better. And I kind of thought he would make the, the Bronco team. In fact, I talked to Sean Payton about him uh, uh, before they signed him. And so hopefully he'll he'll get some time in it. You know, who knows? Uh, you know, they rotate quarterbacks now, and some of those down-the-line NFL teams, you may get a chance more than you ever did. Tanucci went to my high school, Pine Richland. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we want to thank you, Coach. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate thank you being you. here. Thank you, Coach. Absolutely. Thank you guys for your questions and a pleasure meeting you. And as we say in Hawaii, aloha. Aloha. <laughs> sure, aloha. Make Boy, sure everybody's watching. Fun. Hit that like and subscribe button and that notification button. Thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Bye. -bye.